The Seahawks season may not quite be over yet with a wild card matchup against the 49ers looming, but they're already starting to rack up awards coming off of the season finale. Rob Rang and I are going to be diving into all the hardware that several Seahawks got today on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team Every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our wildcard edition of Matchup Wednesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Ireland, Switzerland, or nearby in Idaho. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're drawing closer to Saturday's wildcard rematch between the Seahawks and 49ers at Levi Stadium. And it's Wednesday, which means only one thing. It's time to dive into the key match on offense and defense, two very familiar foes as they get ready for their third matchup of the 2022 season with much higher stakes in the playoffs. Plus, we're going to be taking a look at some of the new hardware dished out to several Seahawk players today, some weekly awards, and some much-deserved recognition for one of Seattle's special team stars. We're going to dive into that as well on this matchup Wednesday edition, which is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players. If they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on Matchup Wednesday of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. The Seahawks season is not over yet, sneaking into the postseason with the last wild card spot. They'll be facing the 49ers for a third time on Saturday at Levi Stadium, looking to keep their season alive and get Pete Carroll another win to put on his resume in the postseason. But before they reach that point, as we've talked about quite a bit on this show, the Seahawks, they're in the running for a lot of major awards and already getting some hardware here coming out of the season finale. And first and foremost, congratulations to Quandre Diggs for being named the NFC's Defensive Player of the Week and really a fitting selection. You look at the numbers, only had four tackles in the game against the Rams, but the big play that he made, intercepting Baker Mayfield. And if you have not seen the All-22 film of that play that he made on that pass, Check out my Twitter feed at Corbin Smith NFL. It's one of the clips on my media. And you can just see how much ground that Quandre Diggs made up on a play that when I saw it happening live in the press box, I thought the Rams had won the game. I thought it was going to be a touchdown to Van Jefferson. But Baker Mayfield underthrew it just a little bit, and Diggs chases it down, and he ends up with his first ever defensive player of the week honor. And it really puts a nice bow on a strong finish to the season for Quandre Diggs. Yeah, it really does, Corbin. Uh, you know, it was a first off, I, I just want to say, you know, again, con congratulations to Quandre Diggs because it is a a play that justified his winning this award. It was the biggest play on the final weekend of what's been a spectacular NFL season. So I, I think that that was just a really cool way for him to finish off the campaign. Um, you know, and then just the fact that 
I think that it's a it's an interception that is almost going to kind of become something of myth almost, you know, just the, the way that the, season, the Seahawks season, you know, kind of hung in the balance, kind of floated in the air. I mean, there was a lot of it, it was a it really, floated like Baker Mayfield's pass. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing is that it was a really windy day that day and the ball did kind of float up there. But the way that Diggs was able to uh, to locate the football and then be able to get over there, it was very similar to a play that uh, Kyle Hamilton, a safety for then Notre Dame, wound up being drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the first round on this past draft. People might remember that. That was a play that really uh, was shown over and over again in the buildup to the draft for Kyle Hamilton. Um, and you know, one of the more celebrated players in all the country, it was that type of a play, um, where again, the, the, the safety just shows that type of range. She showed all pro caliber range on that particular play. It was a big one. And again, very well deserved in getting this recognition by the NFL. And we've talked about this throughout the season coming off the severe leg injury that he suffered last year and the big contract the Seahawks gave him. In the first half of the season, no interceptions, just wasn't making any impact plays, was missing more tackles than what we've seen. But Rob, in the last five games, he has those two interceptions in these back-to-back weeks. He's had two pass breakups. He's allowed one completion on six targets. So he has returned to form in center field. He is the lockdown, all-pro caliber safety the Seahawks thought they were re-signing, and it just took him a while to get back into the swing of things and play at his best level coming off that injury. He even admitted that he was playing tentative at times early this year just because you're coming off a broken leg. It's a very difficult thing for a football player to do. He is looking like the number six that we're used to seeing, and he's having a lot of fun doing it, whether you agree with him pointing the football at Bobby Wagner along the sideline or not. Uh, he's having a lot of fun. And I can tell you another player that's having a lot of fun because he's actually getting some blocking in front of him and he's doing a lot with it. Ken Walker III being named the FedEx Ground Player of the Week today, and that is the second time that he won the award this season. He also was nominated a third time, and this might be another thing that he could put in his resume to get the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year, second rookie in Seahawks history with 1,000 rushing yards, had over 100 yards rushing against the Rams on Sunday. Only 3.9 yards per carry, but he had hard-earned yardage running against a game defense, and he had 29 carries showing off his toughness and his ability to handle a heavy workload. And so, again, even though he didn't find the end zone, another award that was much deserved to cap off a fantastic rookie season for Ken Walker III. Yeah, he gets over the 1,000-yard hump. Um, he's now run for 100 yards in three consecutive games. And, you know, Corbin, he is one of those few running backs in the NFL that uh, really is kind of worth the price of admission all, above him, all by himself. I mean, just his stop-start ability, his elusiveness. Uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, some of the backs on tape that have kind of reminded us uh, of Ken Walker III. I mean, we, we've thrown out na- names like, you know, Gail Sayers and Barry Sanders. I mean, this guy just has a different level of elusiveness to him than, than you're used to seeing for a back of his size with his power and then his breakaway speed. There's a lot of really quick guys, really elusive guys in the NFL. They very rarely have that breakaway speed. They very, very rarely have the toughness to be able to handle 29 rushing attempts, as you just pointed out. So to me, that that's what makes him a dynamic player. I, I just hope that this is is the uh, basically a predictor 
of future hardware coming to Ken Walker III because I think that he definitely is very deserving of Offensive Rookie of the Year. But it's good to see him get this award for his Week 18 performance because obviously it was critical in Seattle's uh, clinching victory uh, to get themselves into the postseason. And last but not least, we got to talk some all pros here. And I know that it's not the AP all pro team that is typically the one that everybody looks at, but this year, NFL PA launched their own players all pro team. And it was announced today and the Seahawks had only one representative, but it was a player that much deserved this honor. Jason Myers being selected by his peers. And I think this is really cool. And it really, it really sends the message of the kind of season that Jason Myers has had and how the rest of the league respects what he's been able to do going 34 for 37 on field goals, making almost every one of his PATs. He has been Mr. Automatic most of the season and in the balloting, this is only for active players. You only got one vote and you could only vote for your position group or the position that you play against. In the case of kickers, you don't really play against anybody except a wall that's coming to block your kicks. So this was the kickers picking the best kicker in football. And Jason Myers was the one that was selected for first team all pro. And again, much deserved because he has had a phenomenal season for the Seahawks. Yeah, that's why this is easily my favorite of the awards that we're talking about here is because, as you just pointed out, um, you know, th- this is Jason Myers' peers voting him the best this season. And, and there is no greater compliment than when your peers recognize you for your uh, achievement. So so a very cool award, very cool acknowledgement. Um, you know, I, it's I, I hate to kind of shift the attention for a moment because i think that jason myers deserves all of the uh attention that he's getting but it's it's a very similar award as what we just talked about with, with jason myers it's all pro voting of just the players um i am fortunate enough to work with the morris trophy which gives out the offensive and defensive lineman of the year in the pac-12 each year and it also is offensive linemen voting for the defensive linemen defensive line voting for the offensive line and to me those are the truest types of awards is game recognizing game um i'm just so thrilled to be associated with the morris trophy in any way and i know from talking to some of the players who have won that like Penny sewell of the of the lions is you know absolute superstar Kayvon thibodeau uh you know I do think that the players get more enjoyment themselves off of getting this recognition from their peers again. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jason Myers feels exactly the same way. So again, uh, a, a great accomplishment from Jason Myers, very well-deserved because he has been absolutely spectacular for the Seahawks all throughout this season. I think it's a really good compliment to the media AP all pro team. I think the two of them can both serve a really good purpose, showcasing the best of the best each season. So I'm not viewing this as one replacing the other, vice versa. They can both work together, and it's a a chance for two different groups that have their own ways of assessing players to be able to make their selections. And so really neat for Jason Myers to be selected first team all pro by his peers. It's matchup Wednesday, wildcard edition. We're going to get to the matchups coming up next. Seahawks on offense against a very familiar number one ranked scoring defense for the 49ers. We'll get to those key matchups coming up next here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by TurboTax. Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you can do, well, not taxes. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. 
Taste, not taxes. Sing, not taxes, a lullaby. Hope, not taxes, sleep through the night. Grab a saddle and ride, not taxes, into the sunset. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring your taxes are done right so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax. Full service products only. Video meeting while expert does your taxes is required. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. This episode is also brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. Coming and managing can come true and this game is definitely for you manage every strategic aspect of your team play through the season and lead your team to glory you're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators trading players making draft picks navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of a season all of this in an exciting and realistic game world ultimate football gm is completely free and playable offline play on the go as you want and when you want to i'm currently managing managing the honolulu sharks and I'm now entering my second season. I've got a lot of young players. I'm optimistic about the future. Don't know if the wins are going to happen just yet, but I'm working towards beating all the other locked on hosts in our virtual league. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise by using the promo LOCKED ON. That's in all caps in the game store. That's LOCKED ON in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate gm.com. Or look it up on the App Store. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to Matchup Wednesday, Wild Card Edition here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time listening to the podcast or you're a regular listener. We greatly appreciate your support. And thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Rob, let's dive into the matchups, and there's going to be some familiar ones and maybe some new ones that we're going to be focusing on going into this round three between the Seahawks and 49ers. Much higher stakes this time around. It's the wild card round. Survive and advance or your season is over. Let's talk Seahawks on offense going up against the 49ers on defense, and this is the number one scoring defense in the NFL for a reason, and I'm pretty sure that there's one player that you can circle and highlight who really is the centerpiece of this dominant defense that the Seahawks are once again going to have to worry about getting after Geno Smith. Yeah, I think that if you're going to try and slay the dragon, then you have to really go for the dragon. And that being the very likely NFL defensive player of the year this season, I think that that Nick Bosa, excuse me, certainly deserves that. Um, those of you able to see it on, U- uh, on YouTube can see his his. Uh, production so far this season 61 tackles 18 and a half sacks 90 quarterback pressures i mean nick bosa has been absolutely phenomenal he has been he's dominant against seattle not statistically uh you know i think he has three sacks against the seahawks to this point in the season but it, it just he creates so many plays with just his initial quickness the way that he uses his hands he is physical he just plays his butt off. I mean, that's that's one of the things when you when you watch the 49ers on tape, Corbin, it's one of the things that you really just kind of become enamored with is just how athletic they are, but how hard they play as well. And Bosa is the epitome of that. They're going to move him around. He's going to line up against Charles Cross as well as Abraham Lucas. 
Uh, both of Seattle's rookie tackles are going to have their hands full. It's one of the biggest reasons why I argued yesterday that, that Seattle should be employing extra blocking to help no matter what you do, Nick Bosa is going to get his. Can Seattle block the rest of San Francisco's defensive line? Because I think that, you're again, you're talking about a player who can take over this game. You just want to try and limit him to a certain amount of damage. Yeah, I don't want to understate what he's done against the Seahawks. As you mentioned, three sacks, eight quarterback hits, and that should probably be four sacks. I guess it wouldn't have been a sack because Geno Smith threw a pick six, but they called it roughing the passer. I thought that that was a gifted call for the Seahawks in that last game. It looked pretty clean to me, but he has been living in the Seahawks' backfield. He's been living in everybody's backfield. That's what he does. 90 pressures is flat-out ridiculous, but that's what this guy does. He plays with a relentless motor. He wins with speed. He wins with power. He wins with technique. He is the total package, and Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, in the first matchup, even though Bosa had two sacks in that game, I thought that the tackles held up fairly well. In that first game, even though Seattle lost by 20 points, I thought they did a decent job. A lot of the pressure was coming from the interior. In the second matchup, though, the two rookies combined giving up seven pressures and three sacks, Bosa having one of those. He dominated both of them, regardless of what side he was on. If there's a silver lining, Abraham Lucas, the patellar tendon injury that was bothering him when these two teams met in week 15, he looked healthy last week after sitting out a week. That it really paid dividends for him. He looked much quicker. He was moving like we're used to seeing Abraham Lucas move. And so that's good news going into this case. He's going to be much healthier than last time. And I thought Charles Cross, he played two of his best games the last two games. So maybe they can take that as momentum. But still, Nick Bosa, he does it to the best of the best at the tackle position. It's not going to be easy keeping him away from Geno Smith. And they're going to have to provide some support. There's no question about it. Look at their second matchup here on the outside. Let's get to the skill positions, shall we? DK Metcalf is going into the postseason in a pretty significant slump because he only had three receiving yards two weeks ago against the Jet Sauce Gardner and company held him down. And then this past game, didn't have much yardage either against the Rams. He's been held in check, and a couple of the throws to him were interceptions. The second one, no blame for him. The first one probably could have ran his slant a little bit crisper than what he did, but he's going to be going into this game on a little bit of a slump, and the two games against the 49ers this year, his production was meager. It wasn't as bad as the last two games, but he has yet to go over 80 yards in a game against them. He has not scored a touchdown. Tyler Lockett had 107 yards in their first matchup, had almost 70 the second matchup before he broke his hand a few weeks ago, but he has not scored a touchdown either. So even though there's been some yardage, neither one of these guys have been able to find the end zone. The Seahawks in general have not been able to find the end zone often against this 49ers defense. And they're going to have to find a way to crack the code a little bit because it does feel like if there's an area they maybe can capitalize on the 49ers, it still looks like the cornerback group, even though it's a good one, that may be an area that Metcalf and Lockett can still do some damage as long as Geno Smith has time to throw the football. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the, you know, the 49ers front is just so darn good. I mean, they're, you know, their their front is great. Their linebackers are great. Their safeties are pretty darn good and their their corners are pretty darn good as well. So trying to find some type of weakness in this defense is is very difficult to do. I, I think that the cornerback play actually has been real, one of the real surprises for the 49ers this season. They brought in Charvarius Ward and he has been spectacular. He's only allowed 3 touchdowns all 
all season long. One of them was a Tyree kill, a long play that doing the Tyree kill special. One was Devontae Adams and then inside the five yard line, a Devontae Adams special. And then there was one that they basically assigned to him, a PFF assigned to him at least, that was he got lost in zone coverage. But otherwise, and that was in week one. Otherwise, he has been just blanking everybody. And so to me, that's one of the really interesting matchups. The, the 49ers are typically going to line up Ward, who is big and physical, 6'1", 205 pounds against DK Metcalf. I, I think that this is a game that is ripe for a receiver, for the Seahawks to, to be able to make a big play. I just don't know that Metcalf is going to be able to do that against Ward. I think it's really going to be a physical battle. Uh, Lenore on the other side does not have the wheels to run with Tyler Lockett, but uh, you know, as you mentioned, Corbin, neither of the Seahawks wide receivers have been able to shake free and get a touchdown against the 49 hours this season. Um, and so again, I think that that's really where Seattle's gonna have to try to take advantage of the fact that Lenore is not as fast as Locke is not as quick, and so perhaps might be able to get a big play, of course. Lenore almost had a big play, a pick six, as you mentioned a moment ago, with Nick Bosa getting that, uh, you know, that the quarterback hit. So, um, you know, again, that you're going to have to pick your poison there because Lenore is a big play magnet, um, and that's going to be something that Seattle is going to have to try to attack. But at the same time, you're also going to have to be very uh, cautious because the 49ers can make you pay really quickly. Excuse me. Our listeners are going to be surprised by this next one because. We've been talking about it the last couple of days, how important running the football is going to be in this game. But for the Seahawks to win in Santa Clara, I believe, and I am certain that you agree with me on this, the Seahawks are going to have to be able to throw the football. And as we just mentioned, it's going to be tough for those corners, especially if the weather is what's forecasted right now. And it's going to be rain. There's going to be wind out there. You're still going to have to be able to throw the football some. And so you got to lean on your tight ends, your trusty tight ends in Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson. And I think if there's an area that maybe you can find some success against this stout 49ers defense, they're not a bad defense against tight ends. They're in the bottom third in the NFL in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. Again, pick your poison with this group. That being said, there have been a few games where they have had major issues with tight ends. And when the Seahawks started getting their tight ends involved in the second half, of that game in week 15, we saw Fant score a late touchdown running down the seam. Ended up with five catches for 32 yards. They start getting the tight ends involved, and then suddenly they started moving the football some. And so this feels like a game, even though the 49ers have good safeties, they have excellent linebackers, this might be your best chance to be able to consistently put together drives, feeding those tight ends moving the sticks and then hoping that those plays suck the defense in a little bit. And then you can take some of those shots downfield to your star receivers on the outside, especially Colby Parkinson, no catches in either one of these games that has got to change in this rematch. He needs to be an emphasized focal point in the game plan, get him the football, use his size and athleticism to your advantage. And I think you can open up the rest of your offense. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I, I've been kind of pounding the table all year long, and I really think that Seattle needs to try to use the tight ends to their advantage a little bit more. I think that's a, that's really been a unique as a unique facet of their offense and their just personnel in general. Um, obviously, losing Will Disley takes away some of the size and physicality that you've had in these previous games. Um, that is a that's a significant loss. Um, but Tyler Mabry, on the other hand, 
Um, you know, it also has some athletic ability to him as well. So I think that kind of makes sure your, your tight end room that much more dynamic. And we talked about the big guys, whether it be Jay Curran, Stone Forsyth, making them motion guys that basically make them tight ends as well. We've seen Seattle do that in the past. I wouldn't be surprised to see them do any of those things. And one thing for, uh, again, thank you as always, Corbin, for, for putting up the, the graphics, creating these graphics for our YouTube listeners, uh, YouTube watchers, excuse me. You used a picture of uh, Hufanga, a really good football player. But one of the things that I noticed about him and kind of watching his tape is, uh, as you have posted on there, he's got four interceptions this season, and that's very impressive. But those four interceptions came over the first half of the season. And over the second half of the season, Hufanga's given up six touchdowns. And so that is a player that, to me, the CL, as you said, CL might be able to kind of exploit one of those matchups with their tight ends. So I, I really think that that's going to be a matchup very much bears watching in this football game. Yeah, I'm glad he pointed that out because as good as Ufanga has been this year, he has given up six touchdowns in the second half of the season. And so he's been a player that's been ripe for that. And Parkinson has a major size advantage over everybody. That includes Ufanga. So I, again, I think he's got to be a priority target in this game because I think he is one player that can cause a matchup problem, even against a defense as good as the San Francisco 49ers. So we'll see if Shane Waldron dials it up. I'm hoping the way that last game ended where they were able to get some traction because the tight ends were involved, that that becomes a key part of their game plan going into this playoff rematch. We're going to switch gears. Seahawks on defense going up against the 49ers offense as we continue matchup Wednesday. That'll be coming up next. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's wildcard weekend, and I'm banking on Dak Prescott having a big bounce back day with two passing touchdowns against the Buccaneers. That might not seem like a bold lead, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, even disc golf. It's that easy. Currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. And first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 using the promo code Locked On. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host Corbin Smith. As always, happy to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the twelves out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen, bringing you the local insights you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. The Locked On NFL podcast is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing matchup Wednesday, wild card edition. We just broke down three key matchups for the Seahawks on offense going against the number one scoring defense for the 49ers. Now we're going to switch gears. A Seahawks defense that has been playing better the last three or four games going up against a 49ers offense that isn't the most explosive, isn't the flashiest, but they're loaded with playmakers. they got a good young quarterback that's handling everything that's thrown at him in Brock Purdy. So this is not going to be an easy assignment for the Seahawks against a team that has scored a lot of points the last five games in the 49ers. So let's get to our matchups here. And Rob, this is going to be a little bit of a switch up from what we typically do. Normally, this is all about the players, but uh, P. 
Pete Carroll mentioned that this is a little bit of a I think when you third match the coaching and the small adjustments matters more than it does in any other game especially when it's the playoffs yeah and so that's why I think that we talked about showing Pete Carroll versus Kyle Shanahan and how they have done against each other and they've played a total of 12 games against each other and those of you watching on YouTube or watching live again thank you as always but for those of you who are not then I'll just read off the, the record, Pete Carroll is eight and four against Kyle Shanahan in those games. And so I think that that is uh, something that kind of you have to think about a little bit in this football game. I think there, there, there's so many things that suggest that the 49ers are just going to be able to roll over the Seahawks. And yet when I see some of the videos and things that the Seahawks are producing, when I, 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 I listen and, and really pay attention to the just the body language of Pete Carroll, of uh, DK Metcalf, of, of Geno Smith in their press conferences leading up to the 49ers game. There, there's a quiet confidence there. There's a looseness there that I, I think is kind of encouraging. And I think that who better to encourage that than Pete Carroll? You know, the, the king of optimism, and I would not be surprised at all if he just kind of, you know, shines up the rings a little bit and just says, hey, you know, follow me, boys. I've done this before. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a critical game for just, again, those real small adjustments on defense. And the players have to execute it, obviously. That's always number one. And there's been the busted coverages against Kyle Shanahan's offense. And he puts you in positions where that happens because he's great at scheming things up. But Carroll in the past, even though they've lost both games, the 49ers this year has had a lot of success against Kyle Shanahan. So maybe he can do it again in the biggest of stages. And the Seahawks can find a way defensively to make this a very interesting game. As far as matchups go, there's one that is extremely concerning to me. And I know that they looked pretty good last week without Jordan Brooks against the Rams. But you're now going to be dealing with a team that's going to have both Christian McCaffrey and a healthy Debo Samuel who returned last week in the season finale. And so you're talking about two of the greatest Swiss Army Knives in the entire NFL. You can line them both up in the backfield. You can line them both up all over the field at receiver, whether in the slot or out wide. They they are, they, I mean, at least in the case of Samuel, he is a wide receiver. And McCaffrey could be a wide receiver with ease. And maybe that's what he'll do at the end of his career once his running back days are over with. But both these guys have really good hands. They're explosive. They create after the catch. And so you've got to worry about Cody Barton, Tanner Muse, if Alexander Johnson gets called up again. Whoever's playing at linebacker without Jordan Brooks, not just defending these two as running backs, but having to worry about them coming out of the backfield with their route running ability and their ability to do damage after the catch. I think that this is a matchup that really could be a deciding factor in this game just because of how explosive both those players are and the ability to really mix and match wherever you want to put them on the field. That creates a lot of complications for the defense. Oh, my goodness. It's an absolute nightmare. I mean, it really is. And it's not just McCaffrey and, and Debo Samuel, as terrific as they are. I mean, you know, George Kittle is dynamic. Kyle Huszczyk is, is dynamic as well. Um, you know, the, the 49ers, it, it's it's fascinating. They are kind of the opposite of, of most NFL 
offenses right now. You know, every just about every other team out there, it seems like it is building with the wide receiver position first, and then prioritizing tight ends and running backs. And you know, the, the 49ers have invested first round pick in Brandon Ayuk, for example, but Debo Samuel was a was a second round pick, and yet he has just become, as you said, I think very accurately one of the true Swiss Army knives uh, of all of the NFL and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, my goodness, you know, you got you got to give the 49ers some credit. Uh, you know, they they made that big, bold trade to get McCaffrey. It's been 11 games that he's been in San Francisco. He's got 11 touchdowns. They've won 10 games in a row. Um, you know, he's got, I think it's six touchdowns through the air, four touchdowns as a runner, and then also through one, uh, you know. So, I mean, he has been absolutely spectacular. How do you defend him? You know, as you said, I mean, and, and obviously with Seahawks losing Jordan Brooks, their most athletic linebacker, Cody Barton is playing really good football right now, but still you have concerns at the other linebacker position. Tanner Muse has the athletic ability to be able to run with these guys, but at the same time, San Francisco loves to pick on undersized linebackers to be able to put them on their pants. They're, they're a big physical offensive front. So that's a challenge. And then, um, you know, any other linebacker that you're going to bring in. Um, He's going to have deficiencies. Exactly. And so it, it's just a huge matchup. It, I agree with you. To me, this is the matchup I think that the Seahawks need to be the most worried about um, on the off, or on the defensive side of, of the ball. It's the matchup that basically is going to determine whether this is a close game, the kind of game that Pete Carroll is hoping for. They can keep close and then win in the very end. Or if the 49ers are able to get out to a little bit of a lead in the first quarter, they just could they could just steamroll Seattle because of their advantages in this exact matchup. So yeah, this is definitely the one you got to be focusing in on. And if they can get that running game going and start steamrolling, as you mentioned, that could be a real problem at the tackle positions because Trent Williams, if you've ever watched highlight reels of Trent Williams, especially since the 49ers got him. He is the definition of a steamroller, an incredible athlete for his size, gets out in space, and he's nasty, throws people to the ground, bulldozes. He is a pancake machine. He is a walking IHOP out there on the field. He, he's big enough to be an IHOP, and he's a real problem for everybody that he goes against because he's one of the premier tackles in the league. So I'm not just looking at this from a pass rushing standpoint. You're hoping that Uchenna Nuosu, Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Bruce Irvin can get some pressure on Brock Purdy when uh, Brock Purdy when the 49ers throw the football. But you're also hoping that those guys can set a hard, firm edge because you know Kyle Shanahan is going to try to push the issue. He's going to try to get off tackle and take advantage of what has been a weak spot most of the year for the Seahawks, containing off the edge, holding up physically. Boye Mafe's really helped this defense from that perspective, but even for him. This is a different game when you're going up against Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey's playing some of his best football the last three or four games. So I think this is another matchup that is going to play a major role in whether the Seahawks can win this game or not. Their edge defenders not only need to be able to get some heat on the quarterback, but they are going to have to hold firm off the edge to keep this run game from exploding. If they can't do that, the game's already lost.
Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You're going to have to earn your opportunities to rush the passer because the 49ers aren't just going to give you those. I mean, there's going to be some play action passes where they're going to take advantage of the fact that Seattle and everybody else there knows that the 49ers is going to run the ball right down Seattle's throat, or at least that's going to be the, the initial game plan. It has to be. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, to me, is one of the absolute best game callers or play callers, excuse me, in the game today, and he would be a fool not to try to take advantage of what has been a very leaky Seahawks run defense. I, I have further concerns again, because of the weather, it's just simply harder to hold up in the running game when it's muddy and slick outside. Um, and, and so that is something that I think is going to just hurt Seattle that much more. Uh, at, at the same time, again, I think that because everybody knows that the game plan is likely to be to try and run the ball right down Seattle's throat, then I, I think that you are going to see Seattle kind of bow up, at least at first. And that's what I think is going to keep this game close. And, and that's where you possibly might be able to create the kind of turnover, create the kind of excitement that might be able to lead Seattle to surprising uh, the 49ers. But I don't think that you're going to see uh, McGlinchey and Trent Williams basically dropping back into pass protection very often unless Seattle is able to play very good run defense early and then force the 49ers to do so. Yeah, that's got to be your priority. Can you force Brock Purdy to beat you? And I know he's been very good, has not made a lot of mistakes. But if you let the 49ers get that run game rolling downhill and they can rack up long drives, you have absolutely no chance. They've got to find a way to slow down that run game. And I think a big part of that's going to be the edge guys holding up against two very good tackles for the 49ers. And last but not least, we got to save this individual player because – in particular, the last two games he has played in against the Seahawks, which were both at Lumen Field, interestingly enough, George Kittle has really emerged as the new Seahawks killer. And his overall numbers this year, he did not have the best year of his career in terms of reception receiving yards, but he scored 11 touchdowns. And a lot of those have been since Brock Purdy took over as the quarterback. He has been leaning heavily on George Kittle. And why not? He is a rookie quarterback's best friend when he got a big athletic target like that that can create after the catch like Kittle can in his last two games against the Seahawks Rob 13 receptions 274 yards I'm laughing reading that line right now and four touchdowns again that's just in two games 274 yards four touchdowns that is a season stat line for most of the tight ends in the NFL and he's done it in the last two games against the Seahawks and so you could look at the linebackers here because they're going to get their coverage matchups against George Kittle. But I'm looking at Quandre Diggs, who had a couple of missed tackles on George Kittle on touchdowns in that last matchup. He's got to bring his hard hat. If Kittle gets the ball in his hands, you got to get him to the ground. And Ryan Neal, he's been limited in practice the first two days this week. I think that's a positive sign after missing the last three games and not practicing at all that he is in the right direction. They need number 26 back in this game because – he made a really nice play on Kittle in that last game where he knocked the football out of his hands. He plays with enough physicality and has the athletic ability to be able to defend George Kittle. So you need number 26 healthy in this football game. Jonathan Abram and Tease Tabor have done a nice job filling in, but you can't go into this game. I guess Abram did okay against Kelsey a few weeks ago, but still. Ryan Neal, I think, is one of the big X factors in this game. Can you get him back healthy and make sure that he's there to cover George Kittle? Because if not, even with him out on the field, they had so many issues last time. And he's another one of those players that can truly be a game wrecker at the tight end position. And Kyle Juszczyk as well from his fullback spot. 
Yeah, I mean, Ryan Neal really has played very well against George Kittle in the past. And, and so that, that's a huge, uh, you know, development um, to kind of follow for the Seahawks. If Neal is able to play, then, as you said, uh, you know, Jonathan Abram has done pretty well, including against Travis Kelsey. But Abram doesn't have Ryan Neal's length. Um, his ball skills. And, and so I, I think that that would give Seattle a more of a ball hawk like digs in the backfield and just make them that much more dangerous. I think that's where very likely to be where you might be able to get an interception from Brock Purdy is going to be a deep ball over the top. In fact, that's one of the things I think that you're going to see the 49ers try to do is kind of going back for a moment uh, about establishing the run and all that. I wouldn't be surprised watching the way that the 49ers use Debo Samuel. He had been out for four games, ankle and knee injuries, comes back in week 18 and played against Arizona, sparing they only had two catches for 20 yards and looked a little bit gimpy. But I wonder if they weren't kind of playing possum a little bit for the playoff run. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see the 49ers try to play action over the top to Quandre to uh, to Debo Samuel. And that's where Diggs and Neal, I think, potentially might be able to create that big play for the CX, perhaps even early in this football game. To me, that's why we have to be talking about Seattle's defensive backs here. Because I think, again, the weather could absolutely change this game and make it just a, a box kind of a game where, again, I think San Francisco has a huge advantage. But if Seattle's defensive backs, the playmakers that they are, to me, they have a chance to be able to get the ball in their hands and perhaps take it back. That, to me, I think Seattle needs to be able to create some type of, of points away from their offense. And that's to me, is going to be the only way you're going to be able to get this victory in Santa Clara. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, streaming five days a week on YouTube, and we're on Amazon as well. Make sure to ask Alexa to play Locked On Seahawks, and you'll get the latest episode available. As always, we appreciate your support, whether you're a first-time listener or you're a regular listener for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our playoff edition crossover Thursday with Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers as we continue to dive into this upcoming wildcard rematch. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.